Hey everybody, welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. I'm John Burke, and joining me from across the pond is our buddy. It's Matt Hudson. John, it's Valentine's Day today, and what a better what a better day to get back together to record the BAMP again. I can't wait for this. Uh, how you doing, man? It's been a while. It, it's been too long. Um, Matt and I had real life stuff get in our way, mm-hmm. and we've not been able to uh, schedule a podcast because of the so what seven hour time difference that we are? Uh, five. Is it, oh, well, you know, I, I like to say seven. You say five, I say seven. That's the whole metric <laughs> U.S. thing. Um, you know, that's a joke too, everybody, just in case you're not getting it. But reality is it's it's not always easy to find a common time when we're both functional and awake and not, uh, you know, taking care of work or family stuff. And uh, I, I'm hoping that in the next couple of uh, months we can get at least the one episode we try to do every month back on track. Um, but this is a special episode. This is not the normal format for BAMP, but we thought we would come back on Valentine's Day and uh, look back at the last 10 years of film. Man, this is it. I've been waiting to do it. We've been speaking about this off air for, I don't know how many, basically since our last show, I think. We've been uh, working out how we're going to do it, what's the format going to be. But to be honest, I think we've both spent, up until maybe a few days ago, actually trying to nail our favourite films of the of the tens, I guess we'd call them. And it's gone from a top hundred to a top 50 down to a top 20. It was hard, Um, but I've been looking forward to doing this. And as a preface, I have no idea what John's picked for any of his films. I can probably think of a few of them. And you listeners who are um, used to the show, probably know a few of John's. You may even know a few of mine, but we haven't traded what we're going to be talking about. So this could be a massive surprise or it could be a, and it could be a nice comfortable evening in store. So uh, John, Shall we? Yeah. Um, so before we get into our list, just a real quick disclaimer. I'm still apprehensive about some of mine, and I know I've left things off that <laughs> I might later regret, but that's kind of the fun of doing this is it has been a pretty good 10 years of movies. Um, some of my favorite films of, of all time have come out of this decade. Not all of them by any means, but some of them for mm-hmm. sure. And so um, I know I got those, but there's some like when we start – because we're going to start with the bottom and work our way up and we're not going to spend a lot of time on each, uh, although we might have questions for each other or surprises um, that we have <laughs> to stop and talk about, but we're going to f- narrow in on those top three and that's where we'll spend the most of our time talking about the movies that are on our list. Um, and again, I feel like my top three are pretty solid, but I still see things where I'm like, well, what about this one? Um, and t- to be clear, these are our favorites from the decade, which in mm-hmm. our opinion are also the best. But we understand that that's a subjective term, and some people may disagree. That's okay. That's not a thing, is it? Film fans are generally level-headed, and they get they agree with everything, don't they? It's what I understood anyway. Maybe it's maybe it's the Americans who don't, but oh no, it's definitely the British as well. Yeah, just that, that's right. It's this is our favorite films or of of the decade, or the films that maybe impacted us or affected us the most. Uh, and I'm sure some of them will be on a lot of other people's best off lists and. Maybe some of them won't be. Maybe there are a few surprises as well. And I'm with you, actually. I'm looking over my list now and I'm thinking, is that worthy of the top 20? But then I remember when I saw when I saw said films and I'm thinking, actually, yeah, when I came out of the, the theatre, the cinema, I, I felt something or it was exactly what I wanted it to be or 
it felt like film. It felt like cinema to me. So that's what mm-hmm. it is. Sometimes it's gone by a feeling, and there are some which probably should be on there in place of others. But again, it's film. It's about for me. It's more about a feeling as well. So some of the more technical films may not be on there, but maybe they didn't hit me as hard as some of these films did. So um, we're going to go from twenty down to four. Um, yeah. Mine aren't in necessarily any order. They are, but they are kind. They are kind of, but they're kind of not. Um, they're more just a case of this is twenty yeah. to four. I've just lumped them in together. So before anyone tries to crucify me, mine are in order, but the order is subject to change at any minute. So like, <laughs> it's it's in order, but like I I literally just changed one right before we started recording. So it, it's still same twenty. Like I haven't taken anything out or added anything, but um I have moved some of the order around, and I'm still not a hundred percent sure I've got them exactly where I want them, but. This is the sound of us making excuses already. Yes, because it's hard. It's so many it movies. Um, but uh, do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? You go first, my man. You go first with your 20th pick and I'll go. It's like a draft, isn't it? And then I'll go. All right. So we're going to go down from 20 to 4. I'm going to start with Creed. Um, I Again, we're not talking about each one, but I just really enjoy this movie. I taught it this year, so I just recently rewatched it. And I, I really think it's... It holds up super great. Next up, 19, Bad Times at the El Royale uh, was a film that when I first saw it, I thought it was really good. And on, I think I've seen two to three more times. I've, I just fell in love with the movie and I really like what it's doing and the metaphors that it's building. Um, Won't You Be My Neighbor, a documentary, the only documentary in my top 20, um, but one that landed so hard for me and is uh, basically made me into a... Uh, huge advocate for mr rogers and i keep talking about it and he is literally all over my life um i try to be like fred so had to be on my top 20 um the next movie i avoided watching for a really long time and i actually mocked it when it won the golden globe for best picture um which is boyhood richard linklater's Mm -hmm. uh like epic uh in terms of both its runtime but also in its uh, production time with the what was it nine years of mm-hmm. filming that went into boyhood um i was surprised how much i loved the movie when i finally sat and watched it um i kind of had written it off as just a gimmick but it's so much more than that and i think it holds up really well um i go number 16 martin scorsese's silence uh, i think an underseen film but it resonated with me and my daughter who i maybe shouldn't have brought to when i did because she was quite young <laughs> but um she little... sat through it Oh, she loved it. And I was I was also really impressed with her uh, for loving it, which is one of the things. It's so great. But, um, you know, I am a, a big Adam Driver fan, too, even though he's not the lead by any means. But I do like him in it. Um, number 15, Toy Story 3. Um, I almost went four. But and I love four. I'm, I'm a big advocate for four. But three hit so hard. It was the first movie I really remember admitting to crying during. Um and that one just barely skated in there. It's from 2010. Uh, the Social Network, um, also 2010. Uh, David Fincher, uh, I'm a huge fan of him. I I also had kind of written that film off. That I'm like, the Facebook movie? Yeah, right. How good can that be? It's amazing. That's how good it can be. It still holds up. Uh, there's so many good scenes in that film. The score is fantabulous. Um, yeah, I, I really can't recommend that movie enough. Um, from last year, Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. Uh I love a good mystery and knives out was so good and so funny. Um, I can't wait for the sequel. Uh, 
I hope they don't call it Knives Out 2 because Knives <laughs> Out would be very separate from this story. Because that's what I'm very happy to hear. Ryan has said that it will be a Benoit Blanc sequel, not oh, yeah. anybody else from the movie. And that's what it should be. Um, number 12, I went with a, uh, I think, a stunning horror film directed by Jordan Peele, Get Out. Um, I love Get Out. I saw it twice in the theater. I bought it as soon as it came out. Um, I think it uh, it revitalized horror in a great way and it introduced us to a new director. Uh, 11. I went with Interstellar. I'm a big Chris Nolan fan. That movie hit so hard um, and does every time. I also taught that this year again. Um, and it resonated with my students as much as it did with me. Uh, 10, I went with Damien Chazelle's La La Land because uh, I love it. I love it's one of my favorite musicals in recent years for sure. Um, and I almost messed up because number nine is Moonlight. And what a odd <laughs> pairing to have them next to each other. But um, Moonlight, I saw alone in a in my local theater, and I was very devastated that no one was there on the Thursday night premiere because I, I was stunned into uh, tears. I thought the performances were outstanding, and every time I've watched it, I have cried. I, I love that movie so much. Um, number eight, I think I've watched this the most uh, in terms of recent years. Um, Hearts Beat Loud. Uh, I, it just clicks with my sensibilities especially because my daughter is approaching her graduation year and this movie deals with that, um, you know, moving on, letting things go and you know, not being sad about it and celebrating it, but also being willing to move on. And I, the movie just, every time I watch it, I cry and I adore Nick Offerman so much and the music is great in it. And it's just awesome. Um, number seven is Patterson, the Jim Jarmusch film with Adam driver Again, I've already mentioned how much of a fan of Adam Driver I am. Um, Patterson is so quiet and thought-provoking, and um, I, I absolutely adore that film. It made me a Jarmusch fan. Like I am a big, big fan of his movies because of how much Patterson clicked with me. Um, and I, I just I can't talk about that movie enough. Uh, number six, um, this one surprised me, though, I think, even more when I saw it because I didn't want to see it. My friend convinced me to go watch it in the theater, and it's Mad Max Fury Road. Um, I was very glad that I listened to him. Uh, it's a amazing movie, but when the trailers were coming out, I just, I, I was kind of like passing off action films, like whatever, it'll just be, you know, big show. And it is big show, but man, it is, what a show, uh, what a ride that movie is. And it does have great performances, um, but man, just visually, it's such an awesome movie. Number five, Arrival. Um, I adore Denis Villeneuve. Um, I love Amy Adams. Uh, Jeremy Renner is often great. Arrival is just fantastic. And then uh, this movie, the number four spot was hard because I was torn between my number three and number four. I, I kept moving them back and forth. When we decided to read off the four, um, up to four, I should say, and only really spend time with three, I decided to push this one back because I've already spoken about it recently enough. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um I think one of the best animated films to come out in the last decade, especially American animated films. Um, I love Spider-Man and I think what this movie does with Spider-Man is so great. And the soundtrack is killer. And so it had to be in my top 20 for the decade. So uh, we're stopping there for me. That's up to my number four. Um, do we want to ask questions and then move to your list? Um, no, I'll jump into mine because some of mine are on yours. Um, I, sorry, I was I was uh, listening in uh, intently. I was staring at the not my, I've got my television in front of me. It's turned off, but I was just staring at my reflection, listening to. You. I was like, <laughs> wow, 
firstly, that's a very good list. There was a couple on there. There's certainly one I pulled out. I was like, right, I need to ask you about that one. Because no, I don't okay. think, actually, when I was listening back, were there were there any bad films? There was no bad films on, that's for sure. There's a, there was a couple on there. I thought, oh, they're a bit, they're, that's high for me. And there's one on there. I was like, wow, I like that list, mate. You did a good job there. Now I've got no idea what your top three is. I think I have an idea what one of them is. So um, I'm going to go down my list from my jumbled, mumbled list from 20 to 4 then. So the first one on my list is The Theory of Everything from 2014. Oh. The Stephen Hawking biopic. Uh, Eddie Redmayne, he won the Oscar for that and Felicity Jones was nominated. Lots of people say that, oh, it was, it, you know, it wasn't a biopic of the man himself. Obviously, it was told from his ex-wife, who Felicity Jones played. It was told from her standpoint, so it, it was a different spin on Stephen Hawking. But I liked it for that. It wasn't just a story about science. It was, you know, almost like the science behind the man himself or his relationship with himself and others around him. I've, I found it to be compelling. Uh, next up was Inside Llewellyn Davis. I think Oscar Isaac is magnificent. John Goodman's fantastic. The Coens are, I think the Coens don't often drop the ball. They didn't do here. The score is like, scintillating. I think the score is fabulous. And this is one of those raw movies which just grabs you. Uh, next up is Under the Skin, the Scarlett Johansson-led film. Oh, on the, on the surface, it sounds ridiculous. Uh, um, an alien disguises a woman, picks guys up and eats them in her van or sends them to another dimension and, so they can be eaten. But there's, it's an, inc- an incredibly layered film. I really like it. Scarlett Johansson is... I don't want to call her underrated because she's just been nominated for two Oscars in the same year um, yeah. and she deserved it. But I, I often find that people don't talk about her when it comes to great actresses of the decade. Uh, and I think they should do. Because uh, and under the skin was a vehicle for her, and I think she was great in that. Um, n- next up was It, 2017's It. Oh wow! I'd been. This is one of those films where I thought, should I put it on? But I had been. I mean, I mentioned it on the band that we did. I'd been waiting for this film for so long, for decades. I mean, this was Carrie Fukunaga was attached to this, and for the longest time, and then he came off the um, project for Andy Muschietti, but. I've been waiting to see a modern iteration of this uh, coming after the TV mini TV series about 30 years ago almost now and I'd heard the initial buzz that it was actually you know pretty damn good and whilst it might not have been as scary as I would have liked I loved like the feel of it like the ambling kind of stand by me feel I thought the kid actors are great Pennywise was great um, so yeah it it was more relief than anything when I came out of the theatre and thought Bloody hell, that was actually, that was really good. And I'm so glad because it could have actually been really bad. Uh, next up was one you mentioned, was Patterson in 2016. Oh, I think nice. Adam Driver and Girl Shifter Farrahan is so good. Adam Driver is, he's like, yeah, he's like one of my go-to actors now. When he's in a film, I want to watch it because he just brings it every time, whether he's Kylo Ren or he's in The Dead Don't Die with Bill Murray or in yeah. something like Patterson. He's so good. And yeah, it's, you know, it's full of, it's just Jarmusch to the number, but it takes a film about a bus driver and makes it into something, excuse the, obviously it's pun, but poetic. It is such a good like snippet of someone's life. Uh, so yes. that's, oh, I really, really like Pat. So number 15, uh, or my 15th uh, one was Blindspotting, uh, David Diggs film. And that is all thanks to my Valentine here, JB. Uh, <laughs> this one wasn't on my radar, only because in the United Kingdom, it barely got a release. Did it, don't even call it a limited release. It barely got a release. And, I'm so glad I got to see it because it was superb. It was superb. And it had one of my favourite moments of that year in a scene involving a gun and a young child. It was, oh. it was at times funny, tense, 
you know, like I mentioned a raw, a raw. It was real. It felt real. Uh, and it, Blind Spot is one which John turned me on to, and I think more people need to go out and watch that because it's it's fantastic. Uh, another film which I'm not sure enough people saw, but by Jove they should have done is Sing Street, and I know John liked that as well. Uh, yes. Sing Street is a was a brilliant, brilliant film, uh, all about young love set to music in the 80s. Um, I don't want to give say too much more about it because I'd rather people who haven't seen it go and see Sing Street. Pick it up if you can. It's a wonderfully charming, cheeky ode to youth and music and love, and it's also got an absolutely fantastic soundtrack. Uh, next up was another one that John mentioned, is Creed. I love boxing films. I love the Rocky nice. franchise, even the really bad ones, <laughs> Rocky Five and that. I, I, but I, there's something about a boxing film, and I know I've said this on the old on the other shows, but there's something about the underdog story and the kind of the blood, sweat, and tears of it that gets the blood pumping. And Creed was, was found. Michael B. Jordan, again, he's one of those actors who just knows going to bring it. Uh, Sylvester Stallone was excellent. Yeah, what, what everything John said basically agreed. Hard hitting, powerful, well acted, uh, and it, and it revitalised a dying franchise. Uh, number the next one is a is a new film. It's an extremely new film. It was my it was my top film of twenty nineteen. It's Marriage Story. Uh, again, yeah. Adam Driver, Scarlett Johansson, Noah Baumbach. I Matt, there was something about this film which gripped me. It was so powerful, so raw. And you know, it's obviously it's about divorce it's not going to be a comedy they, though there were moments in it which were sort of black comedy laura dern won the oscar for it, it, it it's again it's a new film i won't say too much but marriage stories is one of those films that it, it feels real and a lot of the films on this list have that they feel real they feel grounded there's a real emotional weight and heft behind them and marriage story has that and i guess everyone's seen the the pictures and the memes of the argument scene but honestly watch it in context it's it's something else uh next up is whiplash Whiplash, Damien Chazelle. Oh, man. Uh, Seeing uh, old uh, J. Jonah Jameson in this is fantastic. <laughs> Miles Teller is at his best. It's yeah. that, again, it's it's that word again. I'm going to get told off for saying that, again, it's raw. Some of these scenes in this are, you. it feels like, um, it feels like the actors are in your face or they're in their living room. You can feel the sweat and the breath of them screaming in your face or, or, tr- or tr- jazzing their heart out, jazz drumming. Whiplash, was a film I didn't expect when I saw it. I didn't know what to expect when I saw it, but a film called Whiplash, I didn't expect it to be about what it was. Damien Chazelle has done some magnificent films this decade. The last one, First Man, was that's was just okay. And that's a shame. That uh, Next up is a 2013 horror, and it's The Conjuring. The first Conjuring. The one that started it all off. And I I really wow. dig this film. I rewatched it recently, for about, well, about a year ago, for Death by Pod. And I forgot just how how like f- terrifying this film is. I was like, on the edge of my seat at points. And do you know why? It's because there's barely even next to no CGI. It's all done by atmosphere. The music isn't int- intrusive. The uh, performances are good. And the setting works. You'd think a, set, a, a haunted house in the middle of nowhere would be cliche, but they make it work. The exorcism scene at the end is legitimately terrifying. There were parts in it which would have been ingrained in my head. The other films, not so much, but The Conjuring is one of the best straight-up horror films of the decade for me. Uh, next up is Warrior, Tom Hardy, Joel Edgerton, oh. MMA film. I I was recommended this film by a guy at work when I was... He said, have you seen this film called Warrior? It's on Netflix. I said, nope, never heard of it. I assume it's like a Mel Gibson-type film with like scantily clad men hacking at each other in axes. I didn't know it was going to be an MMA film. And I don't mind MMA. Uh, I know you like 
um, MMA Thank an you. awful lot, but um, Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton work off each other so well. Their dynamic in this film is excellent, leading up to the you know what you know it's going to you know what the end fight's going to be. But Warrior was an unexpected surprise, and it was gritty, and it was very 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 good. So if you haven't seen Warrior? It's on Netflix. Check it out. Uh, next up, Chris Nolan makes his first I think only appearance on the list with Inception. Way back when in 2010, I thought this was actually the decade before, but 2010. Um, what is there to say about Inception that you don't already know? What the hell's going on with the spinning top at the end? It's it's complex. It's intense. It visually in, incredible. The actors bring it. It's Chris Nolan. What more can I say about Inception that you guys haven't spent the last ten years thinking about? <laughs> um, another film actually from the same year, Black Swan, Darren Aronofsky, Ooh, Natalie yeah. Portman. Is she is one of my favourite leading actresses alive now. Similar to Adam Driver, if I see Portman's name or something, I mean, even if it's something like Lucy in the Sky. <laughs> um, Black Swan, her and Mila Kunis were great. I just love the idea of taking a, a story about ballet and making it this twisted, dark, haunted story um, about this like, need for perfection. And some of the moments in it are just, you know, bloody, again, terrifying. They're haunting, um, as Aronofsky does. I don't think he bettered a film this decade than Black Swan, and Portman rightly won the Oscar for that. Uh, next up, and remember, this isn't any particular order, but it's Star Wars The Force Awakens. Um, a lot of this is more down to the experience and the hype and the anticipation of waiting for a Star Wars film for a decade, and of course, that was coming off the back of the prequels, say what you want about those. Um, so we're waiting for the, the sequel to Return of the Jedi. The, the, the original trio are coming back, Han, Luke, and Leia. The trailers look great. We've got a new cast, practical effects, all that. Similar to it, but on a on a scale times ten. It's kind of it was like that fanboys film. What if it's not very good? So sitting in the cinema and just watching it and thinking this is just as fun and as adventurous and epic as I wanted it to be. I couldn't have asked for more for Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Whether it was my favourite of the new trilogy or the saga, doesn't matter. The experience is probably my favourite this decade. Was sitting in the cinema that those lights went out. Uh, coming up to my last two now. Hey, guess what? You chose this one as well. Knives Out. And I echo nice. everything you said about Knives Out. It was, oh, man. It was top of my list of the year for so long. And then Marriage Story came out. And I was um in an R and up until I recorded my best of. But Marriage Story went out. But Knives Out, I mean, Ryan Johnson directed the hell I swore than the hell out of that film. It's so intricate. The, the twist is so good. The ensemble is so good. Benoit Blanc is the kid. He's the man. He can join the yeah. Statesman and the Kingsman over here as, as one of the crew. Um, I could, well, everything you said about Knives Out is is true. It's a fabulous film. So well written, so well directed. And I can't wait for the next Benoit Blanc uh, murder mystery. And my yeah. final film up until my top three, so the fourth, I guess, is Black Klansman, 2018. Awesome. There, Adam Driver's in it again. I love Anne Washington, uh, John David Washington. I love Black Klansman. I thought this was such a brilliant film, such a, and the takeoff of the KKK. Again, it was it was equal parts tense and and funny, haunting and gripping, leading up to that like massive, horrible, like proper spikely gut punch ending. But Black Klansman was a film which I wouldn't say surprised me, but it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. And uh, it was, I think, it was one of my top three of that year as well. Is that it was. It was that high up in the list, but um, so that's my twenty to four, and there's only one year which I didn't put any any films in from that year. Did you cover every year, or did you miss any out? 
I didn't really pay attention to that. Um, to be honest, I don't think I got every year though. Um, I think I have a lot early. I tried to not have too many from last year, mm-hmm. uh, because of like re- recency bias. Um, yeah. and yeah, like Spider Man in the Spider Verse is twenty eighteen. Um, Arrival is what twenty sixteen. Heartbeat Loud is also twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen was a year that really clicked with me. Um, I saw a lot of things I liked in that year. Uh, we got twenty sixteen. We got twenty sixteen. We got twenty fourteen. 2017 i think i might have got every year do i have a 2015 2010 2010 creed's 2015 i i think i got everybody 20 there's another 2014 oh man maybe not 2011 or 2012 2012 was the year i missed out i and just to make sure i even googled you know films that came out in 2012 and i was going through them i was like i was right none of these would make my top 20 not there wasn't good films that came out that year but none of them would have cracked my 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 top my top 20 and any film from 2011 for me was warrior. Um, so every other year was taken up a few couple of years were taken up a few times, but I think mine's kind of fairly weight, uh, fairly um, spread out every year, apart from one is catered for. And there was a few which came later on, but there's quite a few from the first half of the decade. So I'm pretty happy with my um, top, my bottom 16 or 17, if you will. Um, so the one I wanted to ask you about, um, and again, this is in no way critical of the film. Was I think it was your number nineteen? Bad times at the Air Royale. That surprised yeah. me that it snuck in only because of the obviously the films that you mentioned and the ones that maybe didn't make it. So what you know, what made it about that film, man? Well, so the way I went through this list, right? I went on Letterbox and I pulled up all the films from the decade mm-hmm. and put them in like my the order that I ranked them or whatever. And I just kind of looked at them and thought about them and which ones really still stuck. Because, you know, like, you rate the movie when you see it, but, like, do you even remember seeing it is always course, a big yeah. question. Because, um, and that one, when I saw it, I was, like, four out of five stars when I saw Bad Times. And um, listening to people talk about it, reading about it, kind of diving into it more and looking at it from different angles than I initially did, um, I was just drawn back to it. And then uh, there's so many cool shots in that movie. Like I love the opening sequence of that film and the use of jump cuts. And it's through the, we're like watching Nick Offerman bury the, the money that we don't fully <laughs> understand what we're seeing yet. I just, I love that sequence and the choice to just leave it in the one position, which later there's a, a narrative reason for the, the camera to not to move, but you don't know that when you're watching it. And there's and that's, I mean, the performances, uh, like I love John Hamm. And he doesn't get enough to do, I think, in general. Uh, we were introduced to Cynthia Erivo as an, yeah. as an actress. And what a talent. Um, I, I really wish Harriet was a better movie. Um, I think her performance was really good in Harriet. But I think in Harriet... as well. Yes. Uh, not in Widows nearly enough, though. But yes, she is great in Widows. Um, and I think she's a superstar. I think we're just waiting for the right role to get her her Oscar um, so she gets the EGOT. EGOT. But... Uh, and and I like Jeff Bridges a lot, man. Like yeah. um, Corey and I last year did a, a Bridges um, like month for a movie club, and I got to connect with some of his old films that I'd never seen, and I've really become a big Jeff Bridges fan. Um, and then he's so good in this movie. And then uh, what's the the kid's name who? Um, oh, uh, oh, Lewis Pullman. Lewis Pullman, um, Bill Pullman's son. Yes. Uh, also fantastic in this movie, and he's been in a couple of other things now. Um, he was in a movie I saw last year called uh, "Them That Follow." Yeah, that's really good as well. And yeah, um, 
I just it's there's so many little things about this movie, and obviously, um, Drew Goddard gets compared to uh, Tarantino with this movie, and I think that clicked too. I mean, uh, noticeably, uh, Tarantino is not on my top ten, um, and I I think you can make an argument for Once Upon a Time, but I was avoiding. Uh, I think I overly avoided 2019 films. I think I allowed myself one and that was knives out. Um, and I love once upon a time in Hollywood. And uh, honestly, I really liked hateful eight when it came out. I've not rewatched hateful eight though. Like for me, if I'm going to pick a Tarantino film, it's going to be best of like the nineties. And I'm going to go probably Pulp Fiction, but um, and glorious bastards maybe. Yeah. I, and, but that was what uh, that's in, in the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Right. But so yeah. Um, and it's nothing against Tarantino. I still think he's great. And uh, like someone might say, oh, you picked Silence over The Irishman. And I'm like, yeah, I think The Irishman's great. But Silence, man, it just, it, it felt so much more personal to Scorsese to me mm-hmm. than Irishman does. Like, um, so yeah, uh, it just, it just creeped on there. Um, not to go too far into bad times, but I hope I answered your question though. I, and I, I got to say too, Hemsworth uh, continues to impress me. Like he is such a, uh, very like he's so di- like able to do anything which i don't think you would have thought if like if i showed you thor and told you this guy could do comedy this guy can do drama this guy can do suspense thriller i don't know if you would buy into it and like the more i see him the more i'm impressed by him um he's done some bad movies but <laughs> i don't blame him like men in black international will just forget happens please don't <laughs> please don't I mean, I, there was so many films that I could have put on my list. I mean, I'm thinking, off the top yeah. of my head, I mean, I love The Age of 17. I really enjoyed that film. Yep, me too, so um, much. I mean, it was, I mean, it was about Lady Macbeth. I enjoyed that. Uh, Three Billboards, uh, Widows, I just mentioned that. Things like that as well. Her, Mike and Phoenix, obviously uh, Academy Award um, winning. To me, both Phoenix. Hereditary and Midsummer are eligible to be on a, a list like yeah. this. I love both of those movies. Um I'm a big Aronofsky fan, and you brought up Black Swan, but yeah. uh, like, I loved Mother. I'm, I think I'm one of the few people who really loved See, Mother. I was I like, really liked it when I first saw it. But I, 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 something about Aronofsky's films, I mean, they don't always lend themselves to going back and rewatching it, unless you're going to no. properly study them, of course. But Mother or is a film I really want to rewatch, but I haven't put myself around to actually rewatching it yet. Yep. Um, I, I also, I think Under the Skin is is really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sing Street, you mentioned, I also adore. Um, Whiplash. I I was torn between which Chazelle. I tried to keep directors kind of. I didn't like over like I have different directors represented, and I didn't want to have two Chazelle films. Mm-hmm. Um, and La La Land for me is more enjoyable of a watch. Like I think Whiplash might be a better movie, but La La Land is like entrancing. Um, it's a gorgeous movie. The music is. I I mean I've listened to the soundtrack from La La Land so many times, and then uh, you know I I can't deny that i'm a sucker for um movies like i am a sucker for hollywood so chazelle's love letter to hollywood clicks for me in every way so that's why it, it got bumped up i haven't seen warrior and that's been on my radar for a long time i check know i need out. to watch that one check it out i um, really enjoyed that okay it came out of nowhere like i said i i, I hadn't even heard of it it's what i saw it um two three years ago now uh, and that is a film i, I would re-watch tom hardy and joel edgerton are just so good in it um theory of everything i liked uh, I am surprised it made it to your top 20. Um, not in like a condemning way, just like it's not a movie you hear a lot of people really like it won Best Picture, but you don't hear it, right? It did win. Um, I don't know. I don't or know if it did win nominated. Best Picture. It did definitely. Obviously, I've already read the Red Main one. Yeah. It was uh, nominated. No, I hear that. It was It was just when I 
when I sat down and watched it, um, I was just absolutely entranced by it. And the visuals and uh, it was the performance as well. Like Eddie Redmayne was magnetically good in that film. Was just watching him and how he transforms from young Stephen Hawking into obviously the Stephen Hawking as we as 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 we know him towards the end. It was just mind blowingly good. I thought, um, and yeah, like I said the visuals. It just it just hit home, and it was a different yeah. side of the man from what. I was used to, so that's kind of why it made it on my more more for the effect as well. But it is to me a bloody good film as well. Notable um, for, for like we almost made it through forty movies with no Star Wars films. Oh, I had to. That wasn't that wasn't even my bias either. But um, I hadn't yeah. actually had I hadn't actually put it on there because again I had like thirty films and it was in my top thirty. And I do generally really enjoy the film because it's such a good fun romp of a film. But it was that it, it came down to the experience as well, and and a lot of for me. Fifty percent of cinema is what you take from it, and yeah, I, I vividly remember that day, that evening. Sorry, and what I did on the evening, and um, when yeah, I have a picture of it. me and my friends uh, going to that one with my daughter, and then um, I, I like Force Awakens a lot. Um, I would, I would definitely, if I were ranking them, neither of them made it on in my top twenty, but I think Last Jedi would be above it. So um, I think it because, would be in terms of like technical filmmaking and yeah, that, but yeah. I mean, and I know, I know that's a very controversial statement. Um, people, uh, there's a lot of people who hate Last Jedi. I don't understand it. If you're still um, listening, I, thank you. Yeah. Yes. Um, but the, so well, granted, we still have three more movies, so it's possible Last Jedi shows up. I've clearly kind of showed my hand or by the saying the Rise of it, Skywalker might be on there. Definitely not. Um, <laughs> but the other thing, and again, there's still a chance here that I'm wrong. But so far, no Marvel, no Marvel Studios movies. I did have. Uh, into the Spider Verse, but that's a Sony film. Sony flick, yeah, that's a good point so far. We've got six films to go. Chances of getting a Marvel film, who knows? To be fair, there have been there's been plenty of them, so there's there is a high that's high percentage. It's a decade dominated by Marvel. Yeah, it never and has been. yet we are not. And again, I, and I, we're both fans of Marvel. We're not like the we're not the film critics who are like cynical against comic book movies. We appreciate them and enjoy them very much. But when I look back at the decade, it's like. I, if we were doing all of them as like one movie, like a franchise, mm-hmm. I it easily put that on the top 20, yeah. right? Because what they've done is insane. But when I look back, like none of them like really hit emotionally or resonate with me at a level that I would put on a big list like this. No. Honestly, if there was one, it'd be Iron Man. And that's from 2008. So it's, yeah. Yeah, it's outside this decade. Yeah, and I, I agree. I like. I do enjoy the MCU. Uh, to me, the MCU, for the most part, is a lot of you know good films, good solid films, sprinkled with some fabulous films. Um, so out of the twenty-three or twenty-two film run, you know, for me, a majority of them are just you know just good. They, you know, and I buy that. I don't mean that disparagingly. They're good films. You can go and watch them, have a great time, and you can put them back on and watch them again. At the minute, that's why none made them on so far. I mean, if I was going, if I was going to put one on, or if I was going to think which of the films in the last ten years um, stood out to me from the from the MCU, uh, I may have to be basic and put Infinity War on there. I yeah. I, I really actually enjoyed Infinity War a lot, uh, more so than Endgame. Obviously, Civil War as well, or the original, or the actual um, first Avengers film, or which kind of where the Avengers kicked off. So one of those may be. Yeah, I would have put on then. That's to say that they're not in my top three. Well, you ready to go into our top three? Are you ready, guys? Here we go. Drum roll. Here he goes. After yes. after you, Mister B. So 
couple of things uh getting into like my taste i love music and so movies about musicians or uh, music in general tend to click with me that's why hearts beat loud was on my list why la la land's on my list hearts beat loud is a um, great film yeah so so good for me and um this movie is about music but it's about a lot more and the more i've seen it the more i fall in love with this film and everything it stands for um and the realization came a while ago but the director's of this movie are among my top five like all time they just all of their movies tend to work for me uh not all of them but most of them work for me and it's the joel and cohen joel cohen and ethan cohen inside lulan davis from 2013 oh. uh, uh when, when you said it, i was like oh i'm glad that it's on his list um, oscar isaac is phenomenal again we do get adam driver in this movie uh yeah of course yeah very fun little sequence with, with him singing uh, you get some of the usual suspects of the uh, the Cohen films with John Goodman having a small part. Yes. Um, uh, Carrie Mulligan is good in this. Justin Timberlake is great. Um, but Oscar Isaac gets to really have this movie. And that's something he doesn't get a lot. He keeps getting kind of pushed to the side role in movies more often. And then when his, his other leading roles don't always give him the chance to shine. And Inside Leland Davis truly does. He gets to do his witty charm thing that you see as Poe Dameron. Um, the the music which he does sing in the movie, uh, the soundtrack though I think the main song is the Mumf- uh, the guy from Mumford and Sons yeah. is singing, um, but I love this the soundtrack I love this time period in New York um, I love the atmosphere of this movie you feel the cold so much um, I I taught this film to my uh, my current film three they're my seniors this year um, I taught them last year that we were, we were studying seasons and how a movie can feel like a season and we did this one for winter and. It just feels cold. Like, I mean, it's it's in the plot. Like, he doesn't have a jacket at one point, and like the his record guy tries to give him the jacket. But, um, I mean, just every time I watch this, even how it starts, because it starts and then it ends in the same spot, and like it's confusing and it's not confusing because it's very clear what the message is. But yet, there's this surrealness to it. I, I just adore so much about this film even the look the uh the kind of washed out tones the film has also makes it feel like winter um i i absolutely adore inside lubin davis it's a film i feel like not enough people have seen and it's one of the things that i love advocating for it is because it, it is it is a movie that will definitely not work for everybody but the people that it works for it really really is going to work for you and you're going to fall in love with this film uh matt it's in his top 20 i know uh cory has not done her top list uh cory does the movie club with me listeners um and i know this would be on her top 20 as well she she we both just absolutely adore this movie and uh again i love the cohen's and their sensibilities if you like their kind of dark look at almost cynical look at humanity yeah. um it it really speaks in this film as well and it just it just amazing it's it's great and again a lot of fun that's the thing it's cynical and it's kind of mocking at times but there's always a, a sense of humor and comedy and kind of like an ironic like self-deprecation where you're just like yeah stuff's bad but you know what it's what we have so let's just laugh at it and move on um yeah that's my number three inside Luther davis uh, can we get a round of applause now <laughs> yeah b- b- well said mate i yeah, it was on my list and it it was i yeah, ranking was number 19, but it isn't my 19th. It would be higher than that for pretty much all the reasons that you said. And I, I really, I mean, I love the Cohen style. I love the um, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs that came out a couple of years ago. Yep. I thought that was fantastically good. Um, but for this, I love it. It's like the Coens always have that thing where they don't quite dive into the, the emotion of what's going on. 
but it's still there if that makes any sense it still yeah gets you and again a lot of that a lot of that is in the music where the the story itself or whatever the writing may not be what's trying to hook you in the emotional feels the score certainly does and that's what i love about it and you're right you know oscar isaac he's just he's just there you know he's just lonely he's just a cold man adrift from everybody and that's just and that's just how he is and you know he, he can change how he is or he can stay like that and that's what i like about it. oscar isaac like you say is he's phenomenal and something like ex machina when he's kind of also bouncing off donald gleason an awful lot as well he's fabulous in that everything he's in he's generally extremely good x-men apocalypse but he's generally very good in what he's in <laughs> however big his role is i mean even like uh, annihilation he wasn't in it for very long but He's just got something about him, like a magnetism, a charisma, which um, he's got a real movie star-like quality to him. And yeah, this film, it's all, it, you know, kind of him laid bare somewhat. And that's why I like this. It's like there's nothing groundbreaking about it, but it's just done brilliantly. And you, well, the way you said about the, um, it felt cold. It felt like the fall or the winter. You're, de- you're dead right there. It really does. Because I'm, I'm, I'm running over the scenes in my head and it does just feel kind of glum mm-hmm. in a way. Um, and even like the posters look like just like it's not quite a black and white. It's sort of just it's sort of beige and white, beige and black, miserable yeah. kind of look to it. And I, there's this this kind of film shouldn't be one I want to go back and rewatch. But I've seen this one quite a few times now. It also actually goes to show how talented Oscar Isaac is as multi talented as a musician. I know he has a musical background, but he's really he does, good musically yeah. as well. He is. He is totally great in this movie. Uh, which I like seeing that when a when a actor actually is talented at the thing they're doing or like when gosling pushed himself to learn to play piano for la la land that just makes me respect them even more um as performers you know and what about the cat as well anything to say about the cats in the in the film i i like cats i'm a cat person um and i i like the metaphor of the cat you know it's that thing you're you're chasing but it's constantly trying to get away from you you know like it's it's the music career it's the uh it's that dream job that you're just kind can't quite grab but it's right there that frustration um, of it all yeah and that you're just trying like you think you know it but you're off by you know oh it's this it's like no it's not that at all it's this thing it's like oh crap okay but yeah i, I love the cat um motif and or you know theme built into the films would it work better if there's a horse no don't like <laughs> horses much uh, although the rider is a uh, one that was definitely in contention for my top 20 of the decade Yes, actually, I remember you, you mentioned that one of our last shows, actually, the right, yeah. I just thought, for those who are new to the show, John has a dislike for horses. He, every time he sees one, he swings for it. I, I, I tried to stop him, but he, he, won't, he won't listen. <laughs> I, I, do not, I do not advocate hitting animals, <laughs> just to be clear. <laughs> that was a, it was a gag, yes. Yeah, um, yeah. Sly, British humour. Um, no, no uh, I'm, I'm happy, I'm surprised, in a good way, that, that is your number three, and that we managed to both pick it in our respective list, so... Um, Agreed. Warms my heart to hear that, man. I'm looking forward to hearing your number three. Uh, number three for me is... I can't remember if you've seen this film or not. It is uh, First Reformed, 2018. Oh, yep, sure have. Paul Schrader, uh, Ethan Hawke's in it, uh, Amanda Seyfried, Cedric the Entertainer. Cedric the Entertainer. Uh, Vicky Hill, not Michael Bill. Gaston. He's it, not billed as Cedric the Entertainer. He's not he's Cedric list. Kyle's, but he's Cedric yeah. the Entertainer, isn't he? Um, a, A24 film. I don't see this film being spoken about that much. So half the time I'm thinking, am I have I overplayed this in my head? Am I the only one who likes this? 
Well, might the only one who likes it this much. It did get an Academy Award for um, screenplay. Didn't win it, but it got nominated. And Paul Schrader's yep. never won an Academy Award. But what I liked about this film was, firstly, Ethan Hawke. I think this is his best performance. Um, I love this film. It's it's it pro- it's a proper serious character study, uh, bubbling underneath the surface. It's this anger and this fury, and it's about uh, for those who haven't seen it, no spoilers. A, a priest who is a, in a historical church, like a a church has been preserved, but nobody really turns up anymore. Nobody goes, uh, and he has a he has a chat with an a um, environmentalist and his pregnant girlfriend, and what is said in that chat kind of tests his faith. He starts to lose faith in the church, but his church is uh, run by corporate overlords who are pumping millions in, and it's their anniversary coming up, and so on and so forth. And it's a really look into how Ethan Hawke, as a reverend, deals with he's he's at his, he's at odds with his at with the attitudes towards God and the church and the way he his arc goes through the film is fantastic it's fantastic to watch I really enjoy it. it's bold it's a really bold film it's a fantastic film there uh, Neil Young's in it as well I mentioned that when I actually reviewed it Neil Young's film uh, song Who's Gonna Stand Up is in it and it's a gospel version and it's bloody good um, and you're talking about the visuals of uh, Inside Ellen Davis this for me is a wonderful looking film. It it's A twenty four, so it's muted. There's like a muted palette to this, but there's there's something about it. It's it's framed like a theatre show, like a stage show, in like it's four three. I think it's format, and yeah. the camera works very static. There's an incredible attention to detail in every shot. You know, there's no wasted shots in this film, um, and it's for me it was astonishing. You know, it's scathing. It's ruminative. It's tragic. It affected me an awful lot. People have mentioned the finale that maybe it was a bit odd or it was just a bit silly or I've seen those words bandied about and other people really dug it. And I'm one of them. I thought it was remarkably acted. I thought technically it was fantastic. I thought it's Paul Schrader's best work in years. Uh, and I mean I mean years. I mean, this is the guy who helped write or direct or produce Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, American Gigolo, The Last Temptation of Christ. A man has serious and Dominion, the prequel to The Exorcist. That aside, the man's got serious pedigree. But um, and for me, first reform was an absolute return to form. Uh, it didn't get the love I feel it should have done, but for me, it was one of the most. For me, it's one of the most affecting films of the year in every way. Um, I saw First Reformed like less than a week after my grandmother passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember that distinctly because I took my aunt to the airport because she had flown in from um, Pennsylvania and the, the theater near the airport was playing first performed and it was not anywhere near me. So it was like an hour drive to the airport and I was like, sweet, I'll take her and then I'll go watch this movie. And um, the thing I remember most about this film, and I don't think it's talked about enough uh, in our circles, is the cinematography. I, I think it is one of the most gorgeous films in the last decade. Uh, the composition of each frame is very, very well thought out. And it is, um, it, it is really great uh, in a lot of ways. It did. It didn't click with me at the end. I have not issues with, but I don't know that I fully understood parts of the ending and I've not rewatched it. I do own it and I, I hope to rewatch it. Um, I do. T- I do talk about this film with my students because of the, cinematography and i like to encourage them to watch challenging films like i i didn't tell them what it was but that you know this is a film that's gonna you're not gonna just understand nor are you going to 
agree with necessarily, but it's going to make you think. And I think, you know, pushing yourself to watch stuff like this is, is challenging in a lot of ways. And it's a good process to go through. So it's, it's really cool hearing it on a, on a list like this. I think it's definitely one of those movies that are, is going to be polarizing. Mm-hmm. And I think those are movies that deserve to be on a top tw- uh, 10 or top 20 list of a decade. So I totally uh, support your pick. Um, my next two movies are like the, the thing is like inside Luland Davis. I don't know that it really says anything about the world we're living in, but it, it's, I think it says something about the human condition and our, our drive for things. Right. Um, I think first reform says something about that and about the world we're living in and yeah what we've done to it in a lot of ways. And again, I don't know that it offers any solutions. Um, maybe there aren't any, and that's part of the challenge. Um, <laughs> but uh, my next film is by comparison, feels so much lighter in nature. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I do, I think uh, it's a good pick, man, for sure. Um, and uh, I do think, even if you don't like first reform, I do think it's a movie that is worth talking about. And Paul Schrader is one of those filmmakers and film writers who's kind of, an odd body of work is like you look you're like oh he wrote taxi driver oh my god well you know and then todd phillips stole taxi driver and put joker over it and (laughs) um but then you look at like uh paul schrader did uh i can't think of the name of the movie now it's something war dogs or something with dogs and war with uh nicholas cage willem dafoe in the in the the noughties wasn't it yeah uh no it was in the last 20 years for sure it's on netflix um because i I, I think I think I made Sean watch it last February, uh, Big Tuna. Um, yeah, and it's and it's just like when you like he made this, and he made First Reform. It's he's all over the place. Um, so it's it's he, it's worth talking about again because he is like he seems a little crazy with some of the the like the leaps that he takes with his movies. So yeah, I agree. Alexander Dynan was the uh, director of photography for this, and yeah, I agree. It's it's. You know, if you want to study cinematography, I think this is one of the, and this is why John is probably the best uh, film teacher in the States, because it's a great film to show students, especially if you're talking about how, like you say, the, the how to frame a a film, how to, you know, how to, how to frame a scene to get what you need out of oh, it. Oh, man. And this is so well done. And it's Alexander Dynan is the man who does it. And yeah, I, I, I fully agree with you on that one. And the, the film you were talking about just now was Dog Eat Dog from 2016. That's it. Doggy yeah, dog. Not the Nazis, yeah. It was yeah, Willem Dafoe and Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Yeah. It it the trailer for it looks zany. Um but we should move on. Let's uh, do it. Number two. Stop forever. Number two. Um this is this is a confusing thing because my number two is a movie I often call and have been calling my favorite film of all time. Ooh, this Yet is throwing me it's, off. It's not my number one. Um and that's you know, I'll explain why I okay. went with the other film, but um, if you know me, or if you follow me, or if you're one of my students, um, I have said many, many times, Scott Pilgrim versus the world Man. was ripped from my brain and made for me by Edgar Wright. Um, just made it in, because it's a 2010 film that I often think of as a 2019 film, which I don't know why I do that, but I often <laughs> think, uh, when I realized it was from this decade, I was like, oh, it's obviously my number one. And I made a comment just now that it's a lot lighter than First Reform. You could say um, Scott Pilgrim's not about the world. It's about, again, a person and, and what people go through. And um, I think seeing an awkward person like Scott be a hero is, for a natural introvert like myself, uh, very, very rewarding. Um, I I just 
rewatched this film a couple of times with uh, showed it to my first year students. Um, and it, I realized showing your favorite film is not always the best idea because it, when they don't like it, it makes you upset because you're like, how can you not like this? It's like you're saying you don't like me because this movie is like <laughs> feels like me. I mean, it's all the things I love. It's rock music. It's video games. It's comic books. Um, it's martial arts fighting and it's uh, awkwardness at its finest. Um, and it makes fun of hipsters, which is one of my favorite pastimes. Yep. So <laughs> yeah. um, it is uh, and it's Edgar Wright, who is my favorite director. Um, I, I his movies all click for me. I, I find all of them more and more and more and more rewarding uh, with each watch, with the exception of Baby Driver. I think Baby Driver is great. I think it's a lot of fun. I actually think it loses a little quality the more you watch it, mm -hmm. only because of the mistreatment of Deborah. Um, and that is Wright's one of his biggest weaknesses. He's just he doesn't seem to be able to write strong female characters. Um, I'm waiting to see Last Night in Soho that comes out this year, uh, and Anya Taylor Joy's in it. Yes, always great. So it's like okay, maybe he did it. Um, but uh, this is my my favorite of of Wright's movies. I think it it shows his years with. Um, Sean and, and Nick and like the uh, evolution of his style and trademarks show up here. It's the first time he makes a movie without Simon Pegg involved. So it's, it's again, it's right. Really. This is my voice. This is who I am. Um, which I think you get, you can look back and see his voice, but you also see Pegg's voice in, in the, the Cornetta trilogy. Um, I, I love everything about this movie. I think it is uh, underappreciated because it is so manic and so crazy but I think it is um, heartfelt. I think it's it's very deep. Uh, I've actually read the graphic novels because of this movie. And I think the movie does a really great job of taking six thick graphic novels and condensing it into essentially one film. Um, trimming out some fat that maybe is a good character treatment. But it just still works so well. Um, and let's not... We must give praise because Kieran Culkin as Wallace Wells is one of the funniest characters ever put on the screen. He cracks me up at every instance. His one-liners are ridiculous, aren't they? <laughs> right, and his delivery. He's so perfect. And even, like, his little little mannerisms, his facial expressions, how he, uh, he'll put his hand on someone's arm or whatever. Um, he's just masterful in this movie. And, like, when I realized that was Fuller from Home Alone, it, like, blew my mind. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I love this movie so much. Um it easily could have been my number one, but I do feel like the number one movie I picked is one of my favorites and is well-deserving to be the number one film of the decade because I think it had something big to say, and I think it said it exceptionally well. So uh, we'll get into that momentarily. All bets are off for me now because I was convinced that was going to be your number one. I was. Aha. I even I even went to the local bookmakers, put a £20 bet on. Book, oh, no. Pilgrim. I'm, I'm out of pocket now. Generally, I thought that would be number one. Um, yeah, everything you said. Uh, Scott Pilgrim is one of those rare films which is just consistently very funny from start to finish. And even when they bring in the the, the psycho exes, that every one of them has something. Whether it's um, Chris Evans, yeah, and doing Ralph, um, uh, Sacha Barber, the when it, with it, with the Bollywood dance moves. Yeah, I, oh, Brie Larson, I forgot to even mention. Brie like, Larson. look at the Marvel people from this movie, you know? Yeah, Chris man. Evans and Brie Larson. And you've got, obviously, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, uh, of now course, is, uh, is uh, in there. And, uh, yeah, of course, yeah, with uh, Birds of Prey or whatever it's called now. Um, yeah. I, I, I found this, I really, really enjoy it. It's a film I don't watch as, as much as I should do. And I really like Scott Pilgrim because I love these kind of films. 
and I love Edgar Wright's storytelling and direction, the way he, the way, the, just the way he pads out his films. They always feel, for the most part, vital. It always feels like there's so much love put into every one of his films. And I say it again, I still would have loved to have seen his Ant-Man. Um, but I, 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 Scott Pilgrim's one of those films which it, it, it it doesn't lose anything as time goes on, if that makes any sense. It doesn't feel dated. It doesn't feel like it should be 10 years old. It still feels fairly fresh as well. Um, I always wonder what would a 50-year-old person think if they saw a film like this? Would it would it hit them like it does us? But I know how much you really, you love this film, and, and Edgar Wright as well. But this is a film which I would love to go back and revisit soon because it's... Well, see, it's a rom-com, which is one of the things that also clicks for me because I'm a big fan of romantic comedies and that's the movie opens like it's just a you know run-of-the-mill little little faster paced rom-com than some um but it quickly turns into something very very different and (laughs) Edgar Wright's compared it to a um uh, it's a musical but instead of the characters breaking out in the song they break out into fights video game musical type thing yeah um and uh I I had I have contact with um, a couple of Harvard psychologists uh through my job and one of them uh, was good friends with George Romero mm-hmm. um, before he passed and like uh, is a big movie guy. And uh, he confirmed Scott Pilgrim masterpiece. So Harvard psychologist confirmed, uh, put the stamp on a Scott Pilgrim versus the world as a masterpiece. So I feel like if you disagree, then you need to probably see a Harvard psychologist. Um, you know, just saying. If you so. disagree, <laughs> going against everything Harvard stands for. Well, if Harvard have said it, who are we to even try to argue about that man? So, Scott pa- Scott Pilgrim, stamp it. It's a masterpiece. Harvard has said so himself. So um, so what we got the first two films, for the first two films were, you know, a bit weightier. Then we've had something a bit lighter. And for my number two, yeah, man, I, I'm continuing that trend of something a bit more um fair weather oh. and a bit more light. Uh, mine the second one was oh. Manchester by the Sea. Oh my God! Yeah, it's so light. That yeah. movie is a a laugh riot. It's a hoot, uh. isn't it? <laughs> This is talking about films of rewatchability. I wouldn't say this is one, but my God, this hit me like a truck when I saw it, and I imagine a lot of other people did it. Um, Kenneth Kenneth Lonergan directed this, and obviously Casey Affleck won the Best Actor for this, and rightly so. Michelle Williams was spellbindingly good for what when she was in it. Uh, Carl Chandler, uh, Gretchen Mole, Lucas Hedges in probably what was his fiftieth film of that year. Um, Mr. Mr. Versatile himself. Uh, I Manchester by the Sea is. I remember thinking this is a film that shouldn't work. It shouldn't succeed. It shouldn't be good. It's basically a film where it's just grief. It's just anguish, and it's a story story that doesn't give anything away as it goes along. It is just following a guy's grief, but it it my God, it works. It's devastating. It really is, and that's why it's number two for me. Not because it is a like a distressing watch but it was a devastating watch this film what cake for me what Lonergan swung for he did it worked and when I say uh, in the when my introduction about what cinema should be like this is cinema to me a director he he went for something and he hit it in the most in the most grim gritty and dare I say marvellous way as well he got something out of Casey Affleck, which I never knew was in the guy. He's a I always knew he's a good actor. Uh, other films have proven that, and he stood up against fa- fabulous actors and held his own massively. But in this, it's to put he was fantastic. There's this disillusioned, lost man, a guy who just kind of like a bag in the wind, just drifts through life in this small little seaside town, and 
I can't imagine it's easy to act the kind of isolation and withdrawn state that he did. I, I, I'm not an actor. I don't know. But I don't know how... You, but I, I imagine lots of people would have just spent a lot of time staring blankly into the, you know, into the, into the abyss. But Casey Affleck really brought some humanity in, in, in there somewhere. His character as Lee is a handyman, so he's back and forward, and we get to see the mundanity of his job, and Michelle Williams is just fantastic, and they have an explosive scene together at the end. It's it's funny, because it's a film where, like I say, it shouldn't work, and, you know, should it be so high? Yeah, damn right, because it's a realistic, it's a hard-hitting story. It's There's no magic solution. The film doesn't offer you a solution for life. It's telling you life hurts. Life can be an absolute, you know what, and let's not sugarcoat it. And let's, you know what we should do? Let's have some cinematography, which just shows how beautiful, beautifully kind of tragic this seaside town is and mix it with the visuals and the town itself becomes a, a character. Everything just combines to work. And the emotion when it comes is, is built up to such a crescendo that it is just like a, a volcano exploding. It's not manipulative. And you know, there's, there's there's little music in this film as well. You just get classical music in the background. It's it's just a beast compared to what was coming out at the time. It's an absolutely different kind of beast. It's haunting. It was powerful. It it, it didn't give. It didn't. Like I say, it, just, it didn't wrap anything up at the end. I didn't come out at the end thinking, well, at least we got that happy ending. It's it's just like it's like Patterson. It's just a slice of life, and in this case, it was a tragic slice of life. But my God, it was. Fantastic, I thought. Uh, it's rewatchability yeah. again. Maybe not high, but I just remember coming out of the cinema, seeing that film, and I don't think I said anything for for the rest of that evening. I was just absolutely awestruck by the emotion mm. and the weight which had just like slammed on my shoulders. So yeah, number two for me is Manchester by the Sea. I took my daughter to see this uh, in the theater, um, and so she would have been twelve. Twenty seventeen, um, I think it was, or twenty yeah, twenty sixteen, yeah. sorry. Yeah, she she would have been twelve. Um and she we both were flabbergasted, uh, you know, tear stained and immediately said to each other, We can't let mom watch this movie because <laughs> my, my wife doesn't handle death well and not to get yeah. into who dies in this movie, but um I came home many months later and I came home to a uh, a scene where Casey Affleck is walking home from a convenience store is on the TV. Yep. If, if you get what i'm saying yeah, yeah, and my yeah. wife is looking at me with this like why would you let me watch this i was like i wasn't here why did you watch this John leaps like, for the remote control no yeah. i was like i explicitly told you not to watch this movie <laughs> uh and she did end up finishing it but also was so moved by it um and i will say uh i was thinking of a few different like um boom here goes the dynamite type jokes with uh saying like casey <laughs> affleck plays a, a a character who is basically as white as a sheet um, standing around in a movie that deals with memories and how those memories can be haunting, but body. enough about a ghost story. Um, <laughs> cause, uh, it, it is funny cause he plays a very similar type of character in both of those it's movies. Got a sheet over him in one of them. Yeah. 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 Um, and I love that story. As well. It is for a lot of it. Sometimes it's David Lowry, but, yes. um, the director, but I, I love a ghost story and I kind of am regretful that that's not on my top 20, even though it's definitely in that realm. So um, hard to put that movie together. Yeah, that movie resonates with me, and uh, Manchester did too. And that's the thing; I agree. I don't know how rewatchable this movie is, but it 
left such an impression on me. I don't know that I need to. I think I can almost recant the entire film, at least the emotional sequences, so, so well. Mm-hmm. Um, from my, I, I can't remember if I watched this only once or if I watched it twice, but I remember so much about this film so vividly because it was so powerful. So, you know, that that's in and of itself is says something, I think. So, uh, think great the pick. Second view in May. I think the second view would kind of temper potentially the the impact made because you've seen it before that thought you like most yeah. same goes for most films but certainly for something like this but i think one day i am going to revisit it but that that one view and enough was enough was enough to put it this high on the list for me yep uh i i don't have much else to add i totally affleck's great in this hedges is great uh michelle williams underused but man when she's there is she used effectively Dying. um oh but one weird thing the one thing about this movie i did not like was matthew broderick I th- yeah of course he's, he's he's like the counselor isn't he uh no he's like the stepdad I a think, stepdad sorry yeah 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 uh, like ah oh, i it was such a weird like jarring like a, when he showed up i was like wow ferris bueller's here what's going on yeah, he's you got know, like, those faces he's like hey it's that guy from godzilla and he can't yeah, not see uh, that yeah he, he really like for that moment i was kind of taken out of the movie plus he hadn't been doing much in recent years and then like i i don't i like young matthew broderick but like cable guy and election he's just this slimy awful person in those yeah. movies and i kind of associate him with that and yeah. that's probably not fair to him but when i saw that in this movie i was like oh, i don't like this i don't like him being here so got rick moranis instead yeah oh if he would do it he's <laughs> i think he's still kind of retired now he's coming out of retirement now confirmed I I mean, for shrunk he's there but um that's another story for another show yep um all right is this it i'm ready is this to go time? time for number one Here we go. Um, i have no, no idea what this is i don't know i assumed and assumed it was scott pilgrim so i'm ready mate the yep. trumpets are playing what is it well sir it is blind spotting a movie that made oh. it into your top 20 um because this movie i saw at south by southwest i got to see it with the director and uh the two stars rafael casal and david david Diggs, excuse me um in the theater with me which is not why it's my favorite but it was a cool after experience um i've been a huge advocate for this film so i'm glad to see that it worked because it's on matt's list because i recommended it so much um i taught this last year to now they are now my seniors they were my juniors there um as soon as it came out i bought it um this is a film i have constantly been bombarding anyone who will listen to me tell them they should watch it it is um one for me it speaks to everything about me uh it's again there's music built into it there's humor which i love how this movie opens i think it's one of the funniest opening sequences in recent film because comedies are dying and this movie does a really great job of introducing comedy to let your guard down and then quickly stomps on you and like hey no this is going to be about a serious topic but we're real people so we're still going to have humor throughout the film um, as you mentioned, there's there's a scene involving a gun that is one of the most intense sequences on camera in recent years. And what this movie has to say and how it chooses to say it, I think, are uh, some of the most important parts. Um, you had Black Klansman, another movie that I think deals with race relations in a really cool and interesting way. But just the simple concept of what the title of Blind Spotting is is powerful mm-hmm. and uh, the revelation that you'll have when you're watching the movie and then if you're self-reflective at all the revelation you'll have about yourself that everybody has some level some degree of blindness that we we choose to to not see things about a person or only see certain things about a person and how that affects our day-to-day lives is is purposeful because i think 
one of the messages the film offers is that um all acts of racism are not equal mm -hmm. but that there is a lot of things that we do on a daily basis that is essentially because of racism even again at, at its minor smallest levels and the fact that we are unaware of it is more of a problem than the fact that it happens that we are blind to it and um this movie does so much in in only 95 minutes too and that's something i think is is also uh applaudable and it, it is a set in oakland it's about gentrification mm -hmm. a topic that we keep seeing come up in movies including uh last black man in san francisco from last year which is fantastic if you have not seen that film but um what was if you love blind spotting what's even better is the two soundtracks that you get from this movie the colin lp and the uh miles lp uh which are two like six to eight track albums written and wrapped by the characters so uh, but really yeah and they're just amazing on top of this great movie that is about race relations and so much um the only thing that i think it can be a detract a a detraction for some is the language uh, there is a lot of cursing it is very grounded in the reality that they live in and sometimes that doesn't sit well with people but if you can get past that uh this movie is truly a masterpiece i uh, i adore this film so much it is a first film by carlos lopez estrada and you can make an argument that no first time director should have a best of the decade acknowledgement but for <laughs> me when i look back at the films i've seen over the last 10 years um few made such an impact on me when i watched them that i wanted to shout from the rooftop that everybody should see it uh, and this is one that i chose to advocate for from the moment i saw it um i walked out thinking wow this is this is amazing and um i saw it again when it came out in a wider release i took my daughter to see it she was amazed by it then i again as soon as it came out on blu-ray dvd i bought it showed it to my students told matt about it was trying to figure out a way to get matt to see it because it wasn't coming out in england fast enough and finally you were able to see it um and yeah uh i i still and i still have friends who have not watched this movie but um i'm a part of several committees at my school and i've gotten several teachers to watch it um you know i've, I've used this as a uh, a very powerful tool and um this month is february is black history month yep and um I do a, a weekly set of recommendations that my students are able to watch on their own time and can earn extra credit if they choose to watch one. Um, and they have to write like an essay to get the extra credit. But, you know, um, this was one of the movies I recommended for this month as well. Uh, every Everything for this month I'm recommending either has a, uh, a story about racism, a black lead actor or a black director um, in kind of pushing that, you know, we, we see more representation on the big screen or the little screen. Um, and so this was an obvious must include with that, that recommendation list for my students. So blind spotting is my number one of the decade. Oh, you've mentioned there and I mentioned it in my short synopsis that I, I, I wasn't aware of this film. Do you know what I mean? It, you know, it had a release releases at festivals, uh, but over, over here in Blighty in the UK, we don't often get those. Uh, sometimes we don't get them at all. We have to wait until they come out on VOD or Blu-ray. And blind spotting. John came back and was raving about this film called Blind Spotting. Uh, you gotta watch. You gotta see. You gotta see. You gotta see. He kept saying, uh, and he said, and I think it's like one of the maybe that like July or August bamp we did a couple of years ago was, and he, he was saying, yeah. and I, I wanted to talk about it, but he couldn't because without wanting to give anything away. And uh, it's one of those films when you, you John knows, and you guys are listeners out there know when somebody tells you this film is that good, you've got this almost like a trepidation going into it, thinking, oh. 
I hope I like it as much or uh, as, as I'm supposed to or I, I should do or I expect to. Um, and there's always that kind of fear that I don't want to be the guy to come out and say, actually, I didn't like it or it was like, just okay. Blind Spotting wasn't that. Blind Spotting was fantastic. Blind Spotting was magnificent. And I, if there's one thing I could thank John for, it's introducing Blind Spotting to me. Because, I mean, this came out in 2018. I mean, what we had Black Klansman came out that year and that attacked the police attitudes towards black people as did Widows, which oh. was magnificent. We had Sorry to Bother You in the same year, which yep. was more about uh, the idea of white voices will get you ahead. Black Panther gave us a symbol. It came out in 2018. But Blind Spotting gave us something authentic. Blind Spotting gave us something which, I meant that word again, it felt grounded, it felt real. It felt, at times, very real, like to the bone real. And I thought it was brilliant. The the, the, the contrast, I can't be between David Diggs and Raphael Cassell. One was more cool, calm and collected because he had to be. And the other one was very kind of like fiery, uh, fiery tempered. I, I loved it. Like it's like a buddy comedy yep. hybrid drama. It's, but I mean, by when you hear the words buddy comedy, don't think it's like uh lethal weapon or something like that. It's not, it's, this is, this is the real deal to me. I, that, that particular scene you mentioned is, it's hauntingly good. The way it's that you mentioned the time is ninety five minutes. The film is so controlled, it's so tight, it's it's so well controlled and maintained that it never goes off the rack. Everything is vital. Everything there. There's no like scenes where you could think we well, could have trimmed that out or maybe got rid of that. Everything feels like it fits and needs to be there. Uh, and like the way the, f- the film goes from those kind of different tones and emotions, like a click of a finger, is masterful for a first time director. I mean, I don't want to sound, you know, like you know, like on my part high horse here, but for a first-time director, that is a fabulous achievement to be able to be able yeah. to do that. And you know, some films that provide commentary don't always work. Sometimes they can be a bit too sanctimonious, or they just don't. They're not clear in what they're trying to say. But blind spotting is just so good. And you know, you get sometimes you get a film that just comes along and you just can't find fault with. You know, you generally can't find anything wrong with it. And Blind Spotting is, is one of those films. You generally can't find anything in it that was wrong with it. And we spoke on the show that we, we'd seen criticism of certain scenes towards the end that people didn't like or they thought it, they went a bit too far. But no, man, I was sweating watching every scene. Plus, it's got Wayne Knight, a.k.a. Dennis Nedry in it. So that's always a win. Yeah. Janina Gavankar shows up as well. She's not in it nearly enough. Maybe that's the only downfall. She's a great actress, not in it enough. But there's nothing I can find at fault with blind spotting. Yeah. And I also like, uh, Jasmine Cephas, uh, is in the movie mm-hmm. as well. She's also really, really good. And can't leave out Ethan Embry. Um, no. we won't get into what his role is, but he's often an interesting actor and he does good work in this movie, but and David Diggs and my, uh, Rafael Casal did, uh, co-write the script and it was inspired by the same shooting that, uh, Fruitvale station is actually about yes. them. They started writing it when Cooper, that occurred. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah, um, I'm glad they, they were able to do their own thing with it, but it's definitely inspired by that same, it, it definitively inspired by that same thing. Like they, they've said it in interviews and stuff that uh, this was a script they, they took a long time revising, 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 and it shows. So, number one for me, what's your number one, Matt? Uh, my number one is, man, that was such a good number one. I'm sorry, that's such a great film. That was number one. Uh, my number one is one you've already mentioned. In your list, Ooh. which is quite cool, because we've seen, I said before, we we, we we may double up, or there'll be films which we probably have in our own list, and we do. My one 
is from a director I've already mentioned. Number one of the decade for me, Damien Chazelle and La La Land. You've mentioned it. Oh, nice. La La Land is, to me, it's perfect. To me, it's it's perfect. What I mean, I'll start off with the soundtrack because you mentioned it. I listened to that mm-hmm. probably more than I should admit. I love the soundtrack, obviously, from the uh, Another Day of Sun, to, which opens it and pretty much tells you the story as well, if you would read the lyrics, yep. to the to the obviously the, the, more, the more jazzy numbers, to the solo piano-led tunes, and the way it just shit, and obviously uh, John Legend's kind of electronica track, which is also very good. It The, the soundtrack takes you on a journey. It's, it's like a modern... It's a modern love letter to old-age Hollywood. Everybody knows that. It's uh, You get scenes where... It's it's reminiscent of Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, and it'll be cut short or, or it'll end with a mobile phone going off. Little things like that, which I, I appreciated. The chemistry between Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone is, I mean, breathtaking. I mean, they've been yeah, in film, they've so been in good. a couple of films before that. I mean, the brilliant Gangster Squad. <laughs> um, but yeah, their <laughs> their chemistry is fabulous. The cinematographer we've mentioned that a lot is stunning. The use of colours. The evocative imagery in this film is uh, obviously the iconic shot of the um, um, a lovely night when they're when they're dancing and the Emerson's got her orange dress on, a yellow dress on, with the with LA behind them and the purple sky. That is that's now an iconic shot for me. I think you see that you know damn well where it's come from. It's one that kind of it sums up the film for me as well. And I think that technically it's a brilliantly made film as well. Like the musical numbers, of course, from the one at the beginning uh, on the interstate up until like the planetarium scene and how that's how that's done to Ryan Gosling going for a little walk along the pier. It's then oh honestly, I, I, I stumble over myself trying to come up with enough superlatives for this film. The the actual narrative through it is wonderful, and the way it ended up is perfect to me. The way that the story goes and the characters, how they go on their their own paths together and whatnot and where they end up is like is just devastatingly perfect for me and, and the end scene like one of the final shots like the epilogue and the final shot oh god i every time i watch it i don't know it's like it's like someone's like an onion factory is just wafting through the windows uh, it's oh man I'm thinking about it now. It gets me emotional. Just I don't know. It just feels yeah. like that kind of unrequited love and the love letter to love itself and you know things that maybe weren't meant to be. And the, oh god, do you know what I mean? It, that this is that's what I think about the film. It's it's a joyful triumph. It celebrates everything that was beautiful and wonderful in old Hollywood. Wraps it up with a lovely contemporary bow. The performances are great. It looks. Beautiful. I can't not look at any shot in this film, and it's beautiful. Like when they come out of the club and they've got the neon sign and they're walking away, and it's the long shot of both of them. It's and and the musical numbers. I don't always like musicals. I don't. I something about them. I don't always like when suddenly people just burst out into song. But they worked here. Just yeah. look at Emma Stone singing "Audition," the Falls Who Dream, and that is just powerful. And she deserved her Academy Award nominate a uh, uh, win. Ryan Gosling was nominated. For me, I think they should have won in 2016, and I know why Moonlight. I get why Moonlight won, but I think on every level, like technically, La La Land is a better film. But then Moonlight is a powerful, emotional film which had some stunning performances in it, a fantastic message behind it as well. So it was a 
it was a proper kind of like slobber knocker between two films which deserved to potentially win. And look, even um, even though what's his name who <laughs> mixed up the uh, the cards couldn't decide. But so not only was it involved in one of the Oscars, the Academy's most notorious moments in the last decade for me for every reason you can possibly think of La La Land is the best film of the 2010s I mean I love this movie um in fact I'm going to be uh, showing it to my first year students in two weeks so uh I, I get to revisit it again um uh, I mean there's the movie's gorgeous in so many ways like I love the color palettes in this film um it's it's so great i love that it's your number one because honestly when you picked whiplash i felt i was like oh man he went with the more like kind of edgy like art house movie with a lot of cursing and violence and then you surprised me and it's your number one so that's great um it, that's why i think both of us were really disappointed with first man because we love oh, chazelle's first two films i remember our discussion about it and we i i was i was assuming i was gonna love it and i assumed you were gonna love it i love the score I yeah. loved lots of elements of it, but just not the film itself. And yeah, and it does feel like it was almost forgotten too. Like, mm-hmm. it, like people don't talk about that movie. Uh, Chazelle, it looks like he's got a film called Babylon yes. scheduled for next year. I think, uh, it's Emma Stone um, in it that, as well, I think. And Brad Pitt. Oh wow! Are the only two currently listed on Letterboxd. I don't know how long term that will be, but um, and it's set during the transition from silent to uh, talkies. Yep. So it's like singing in the rain. Era, nice. So kind of. Intriguing. Uh, for a, a throwback to Hollywood as well. Yes, um, and I loved his speech, by the way, at yes, the Oscars. But, um, but uh, I, I love Lala, and I, I said a little bit about it already, so I won't, I won't add mm-hmm. to our pad our runtime anymore. But um, if you somehow skip this movie, don't go back and watch it. Um, and I will say, I, uh, this was unplanned, but looking at your list and then thinking about my list. I, I do think if we were to look back at the decade and then pick like our favorite actor from the decade or like the most emerging actor from the decade, I feel like Adam driver is firmly in the driver's seat. Pun intended. Pun intended. <laughs> um, because everything he's done, I mean, and he's in little roles too. Like if you think midnight special, he's small part, but important. Uh, Luland Davis, yeah. small part, but his scenes are great. And then his leading roles like Patterson and marriage story. And he's, so great is Kylo Ren. Like honestly, one of my favorite parts of that series is Kylo Ren. And um, I like a few years ago, Ryan Gosling was firmly, I think my number mm-hmm. one actor, but I think Adam drivers pushed him out of the way and is running with it, which is interesting because, you know, Ryan Gosling was in a movie called drive. <laughs> um, a very good movie. But, this came out this decade as well, didn't it? I think it did. Nicholas Winding Ruffin's uh, drive. I think sorry. It was very close, yeah, um, and that movie's great. Uh, just not, not one that I would put in my top twenty, obviously. But uh, La La Land, excellent. Um, and I, I think you could make an argument that Scarlett Johansson would be deserving of the the female emerging actress because not only is she great as Black Widow, so much so that fans demanded a Black Widow mm-hmm. movie, and we're finally getting it. But uh, Marriage Story, Under the Skin, um, and her performance in Jojo Rabbit is phenomenal. Right, that's uh, incredible. I, I no one else is popping into my head for actress. I mean, Jennifer Lawrence I mean, Revo, pop in I think now, is I think. really good. Nope, kick her out. Nope, nope. She, nope. She's had she's had a nope. successful decade. If anything, I would let you say Florence Pugh, but oh, she I think she still one. has some room to go. But yeah, Saoirse she's so Roman. good. Saoirse definitely could be argued. Um, but I put Florence Pugh ahead of her all day, every day. Yeah, um, I, I think. Who that's tough, but I I Pugh's twenty nineteen is one of the best 
years of of like hey look how great i am between yeah. fighting with my family midsummer and uh little women little women just insane year i think she her. had to me she felt and i i i do like saoirse ronan but to me florence Pugh feels more natural whereas saoirse ronan can i can i say this but sometimes feels like she's acting if that makes sense she feels yeah. she feels very much like she's acting whereas florence Pugh feels more natural um which is what I, I I gravitate to that more. She does. She it, obviously it, there's a talent to what they both do. And Sir Sharon is ma- magnificent. Sure. Similar to Tim, because that's why I think Timothy Chalamet and Sir Sharon work so well together because they're very much cut on the same cloth. But Florence Pugh, it just feels a bit more organic and less. I don't want to yeah. say showy because that's almost sounds detrimental. But I, I agree with you. Pat Pixman, especially Adam Driver, Ryan Gosling as well. He hasn't done an awful lot wrong. In this, I mean, he nope. was in a, few, a Terrence Malick film, which song to song, which bored the hell out of me. But then so was Natalie Portman. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right there. I mean, for, for actually for music, musically, I think the the music from Chazelle, Chazelle's films probably wins for me. Whiplash had a great soundtrack. La La Land had the best one for me. First Man should have won the Oscar last year, which I'm still banging the drum for. I think that's a brilliant soundtrack. So um, score. So I I think Chazelle for me, his films had the best. Um, musical accompaniments, but I don't argue with Adam Driver being the emerging star of the decade, ma- uh, male star. Yeah, yep. It, it's he's definitely I think there um, in contention. But and I I noted uh, I don't think I had any 2019 films except for Knives Out. Um, Parasite I do think is deserving of being on the top 20, um, and it probably will creep its way into that at some point for me. But see, I liked I did like Parasite. I think I'd give it an eight out of ten. Parasite. I I just thought it was pr- very good um, rather than. You know, a breathtaking. I think what mm. Bong Joon did, but directing it was breathtakingly good. But it fell away a little bit for me towards the end. Um, yeah, I think the end makes a makes or breaks the uh, yeah. how great you list the movie. But um, nonetheless, that is our decade, man. We we've done it. We talked about the the twenty ten to twenty nineteen decade, our top twenty films of the ten years, um, and in in particular our top three. Mm-hmm. Um, we had some surprises, but nothing, nothing like, honestly, I, for me, looking at your list, Theory of Everything was the biggest surprise. I think even I would make a little argument for The Conjuring. I, I agree, though. I do think the movie is terrifying. And um, I think it's just I've really soured on the whole universe because Conjuring they keep verse, making yeah. bad movies, um, especially like the last three have been just like terribly bad yeah, so there's so many good films though that it, it when mm-hmm. it now i'm glad that's why i'm glad we did it on favorite or feeling or emotion rather than listing technically yeah. i think technically my list would have been a bit different but you know what i'm going to come out now and say out of the 40 film well the 30 odd films in uh, minus duplicates i don't think there's any film in this list and again subjective I don't think there's any film in this list which which we can legitimately say. Do you know what? That wasn't actually a very good film, or that we both that either of us actually actively disliked from the others. Correct. List. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agree completely on that. Which is surprising. Uh, of course, I have. I have not seen The Warrior. I think that was the only one on your list I've not yes. seen. Check it out. It's, I think you'll enjoy it, especially as an MMA fan. I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, I, it's been on my radar for a long time. It's just one of those things where I just haven't made the effort, and I need to. Um, were there any on my list that you hadn't seen? Um, no, there wasn't actually. No, um, some of them, uh, uh, hearts beat loud and blind spotting. I potentially wouldn't have seen if you hadn't yes. mentioned it. And again, there are two films which I'm glad I didn't. If you haven't seen Hearts Beat Loud, guys, go and check it out. Is it um Nick Offerman? Is it Kiersey Clemens? I think as well. Uh, yeah, 
yeah. fabulous film. Yeah. It's one of those beautiful kind of like off the wall indie films, which like little gems, diamond in the rough, which you don't hear of enough. But when you do watch it, you're so glad you watched it. Yeah, and Ted Danson's also in that movie, yeah. and he's so great in it. And Tony Collette, we got a name drop. Tony Collette, uh, it's yeah, just great, great, optimistic movie too. And that's something that I feel like we're we were in the last couple of years we were getting a lot more negative, cynical things, which I'm a fan of. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you need a palate cleanser. You need something to make you feel good. And I think Hearts Beat Loud does that, yeah. and not in a pandering sort of way. It just naturally does it. Um. Yeah. Oh, and uh, did you say Sasha Banks? You might have said that. I, but, I yeah, did say yeah. Sasha Banks, but then again, she came out of nowhere. And she starred as um, American Honey, um, this, uh, and the, Bumblebee as well. She's in Bumblebee, wasn't she? Is she in Bumblebee? She's, that, she's in she Hellboy. Hellboy wasn't that one I was thinking of, but that was... Yeah, not it good. Was, <laughs> yeah, it had got a wide release. That's all I could say about it. <laughs> yes, it, um, it was a thing. It was a movie. Uh, Sasha Lane, yeah, she came out of nowhere. She's been as a guy. So also, actually, just before we do wrap up, um. Oh, his name's gone. Shia Buff, man, he's 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 showing his chops. Um, in recent years, freaking Peanut Butter Falcon and Honey Boy from last year. The alone. same year, yeah. So yeah, yeah just... Shia Buff was one for me. Who's uh, he's always had the talent, and is now starting mm-hmm. to show it an awful lot more. Yep, come back around to uh, reality or something. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, very happy with his his return. But I think that'll that'll wrap us up. Yeah. Um. Uh, where can they find you on the interwebs, Matt? Uh, you can find me at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk across uh, the socials, generally Twitter and Instagram. Search for What I Watch Tonight, and you'll find me on there. And you can follow me at Burke Reviews. Um, go to burkreviews.com to read my reviews and see what else is happening. Uh, my other podcast is the Burke Reviews Movie Cast. Uh, right now, it's just Movie Club. Corey and I watch a movie a week uh, set to a theme. At least one of us had never seen the film that we're watching and reviewing, um, and we love feedback. So hit us up there. And Matt, plug out the Star Wars podcast, man. Uh, yeah, if you want to, if you like Star Wars, and if you don't, listen anyway. Listen to Star Wars Sessions. It's a weekly show about Star Wars, family friendly, non political. Just two guys going on to talk about a galaxy far, far away and having a good time doing it. So yeah, if you do like it, check it out. And um, there are other mo- other movie podcasts to do as well. Death by Pod, a horror movie podcast. Check it out as well. And yeah, check out the movie cast and movie club, and you won't be disappointed. That's it. And uh, we'll, we're going to be back. We don't know for sure when. Hopefully next month. Um, we might be back in the format that we used to, where we reviewed the four big releases of the month. Or it might be something slightly different. We will be talking about movies. That's the one thing we know for sure, because we both absolutely love movies. And I think with that, I say keep watching movies. And I'm going to tell you, just keep it bloody awesome. Blood, 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 bloody. Blood, 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 bloody.